the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is the Bob France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And a good morning to you. Thank you so much for joining us as we get started at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this Tuesday primary day in New Hampshire and the 11th morning of the second month of the year of our Lord 2020. Uh, coming up in, uh, we got a couple of flamethrowers today coming up in about a half an hour at 935. We're going to talk about policing, particularly policing in minority neighborhoods, particularly policing uh, in stop-and-frisk cities, and whether or not stop-and-frisk is a racist policy or an effective one to save minority lives. Yeah, really, really complicated issue, one that has now ensnared one of the Democrats' surging stars in their search for a candidate out of that cesspool, Mike Bloomberg. Bloomberg caught, not really caught on tape, But a tape has resurfaced from 2015 during the Obama administration in which the then New York mayor did indeed endorse and support, uh, not then, excuse me, the former New York mayor did did indeed endorse and support the stop and frisk policies that were implemented in New York under former mayor Rudy Giuliani. So uh, Bloomberg continued Giuliani's policy, and then he spoke about why it was important and why he agreed with it, and it is now coming back to bite him in these Democratic primaries. A full discussion of that with Steve Loomis coming up. Did I say flamethrower? Yeah. Uh, he'll join us at 935, the former president of the Cleveland Police Patrolmen's Association. Then at 1010, did I say flamethrowers? Kurt Schlichter, Colonel Kurt Schlichter, retired colonel of the United States Army, and now, of course, a Los Angeles trial attorney, uh, is going to join us to talk about the New Hampshire primary, what the demon rats have to throw at the wall uh, there, trying to find a way to tr- to stop the incredible momentum that the United States is enjoying under President Donald John Trump. So we'll talk to him about that. We will also talk to him about Bill Barr. The Justice Department is suing 
New Jersey and Washington County and a couple of other places um, over their sanctuary city policies. That's right. The Attorney General Bill Barr is announcing sweeping new sanctions and escalating the fight against left-wing sanctuary cities that continue to endanger their populations by uh, freeing illegal aliens uh, suspected of or convicted of very serious crimes, violent crimes. They continue to say that their rights are more important than the rights of the uh, victims, uh, their victims in these communities. So we're going to talk to uh, Steve Loomis and Kurt Schlichter today, and I think you're going to like both of those conversations. All right, uh, I want to dive into this right now. <clears throat> this is such a bizarre scenario. New York, New York City has had such a combustible relationship um, between its police force and its mayor ever since Ruli Giuliani left. When Mayor Giuliani was uh, running New York City and running it extraordinarily effectively, there was a great relationship between the first responders and the heroes in the NYPD and the mayor's office. Ever since then, it has been very, very bizarre, including now. I don't want to get too far off into the weeds on Bill de Blasio, but just as an example, the New York City Police Department Union um, has declared war on Bill de Blasio. That's a word that they used. That's not my description. This after, of course, a gunman on Sunday attacked uh, a New York City uh, Police Department station house, and cops are being targeted. They're being hunted by lunatics with anti-police feelings and biases, uh, believed to be um, not just born of liberal Democrat leadership, but uh, nurtured and grown, flames fanned by the same. We all know the anti-police attitude that began in this country under Barack Obama as he continued to blame cops in virtually every single incident involving a police-involved shooting and a a male minority. Yeah, male minority, black male primarily. We all know what that what happened there. We all know about the fantasies told about Michael Brown and the fantasies told about uh, Freddie Gray and so on and so forth and how that started. It got worse in certain cities like New York because of Mayor Bill de Blasio, who refuses to back the police in virtually any given situation. They feel like they have been hung out to dry by City Hall in New York, and de Blasio is their enemy. And now that a gunman walks into the NYPD station house in the Bronx and fires at officers, injuring a lieutenant inside. Uh, the event, uh, lead shooter eventually laid down and was apprehended as he ran out of bullets. de Blasio is taking the blame for that. Well, he's not taking it, but he's receiving the blame for it from the uh, New York City uh, Sergeant's Benevolent Association. The SBA said it didn't have any respect for the mayor, but not only that, they asked that he not visit the union's members in the hospital and told him NYPD cops have been assassinated because of him. A tweet from the SBA, that's the police union in New York City, said Sunday, Mayor de Blasio, the members of the New York uh, Police Department are declaring war on you. We do not respect you. Do not visit us in hospitals. You sold the NYPD to the vile creatures, the 1% who hate cops but who vote for you. NYPD cops have been assassinated because of you. This isn't over. Game on. End quote. That's a direct tweet from uh, Bill De- or, uh, the uh, uh, police union in New York City toward Mayor Bill de Blasio. So I give you that current situation to take you to the Mike Bloomberg story that is dominating the news cycle this morning. 
former mayor Mike Bloomberg strongly defended his throw them up against the walls and frisk them policy in uh, a newly leaked audio or released audio or remembered audio or revised audio or whatever, uh, reprised, I guess, uh, from 2015. He was speaking at an uh, organization called the Aspen Institute, speaking to them, telling the audience that cops targeted minority neighborhoods because that's where all the crime is. And the truth of the matter is, this is where it gets really complicated. There's a point there. Where should we send police? To the low crime areas where nothing is going on or to the high crime areas where people are being victimized? If you leave it at high crime areas, maybe you're okay here, but he specifically made this racial when he talked about where the high crime areas are. And what he had to say in this, uh, in this uh, speech is being heavily criticized now, now that he is in a, New York, in a uh, Democratic Party primary race against Bernie and against Biden and against Buttigieg and against Warren, and they are going to hand him his lunch with this. This is one minute and three seconds of Mike Bloomberg from 2015 speaking to the Aspen Institute about stop and frisk. Please listen closely. 95% of your murders and murderers and murder victims fit one of them and that's you can just take the description, Xerox it, and pass it out to all the cops. They are male, minorities, 15 to 25. That's true in New York, it's true in virtually every city. And that's where the real crime is. You've got to get the guns out of the hands of the people that get killed. She's done if you want to spend the money for a lot of cops in the street, put those cops where the crime is, which means in the minority neighborhoods. So it's one of the unintended consequences is People say, oh my God, you are arresting kids for marijuana that are all minorities. Yes, that's true. Why? Because we put all the cops in the minority neighborhoods. Yes, that's true. Why do we do it? Because that's where all the crime is. And the way you get the guns out of the kids' hands is to throw them against the wall and frisk them. And then they start, they say, oh, I don't want that. I don't want to get caught. So they don't bring the gun. They still have a gun, but they leave it at home. All right. That's the entirety of the Bloomberg audio that is making the rounds today all over the news cycle. Even the mainstream news is talking about this because this is going to impact the Democratic race. Make no mistake about that. Joe Biden is crumbling. Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg are kind of up and down like yo-yos. And Mike Bloomberg is just surging. He is, of course, buying his way, buying his attention. And so they are all going to be very concerned about Mike Bloomberg, depending on what happens today in New Hampshire and going forward. So this is a threat to them. And I would guarantee you that it is somebody in the Democratic uh, uh, opposition camp. I don't know if it'll be in Camp Bernie or Camp Biden or whomever that would have said, we've got to slow this guy down, let's leak this. Somebody in the demon rat side or on the demon rat side is indeed leaking this. And the question now is, what will be done with it? How will President Trump and the Republicans respond to it? How will the Bloomberg camp respond to it? And if you couldn't understand the audio clearly, because it is, it's one of those auditorium-type recordings. You know, it's got a little bit of tinniness to it and some echo in the background. It's hard to understand at all. I'll give you the direct quote just so you can process this during the break. And then if you want to speak on it, do so at 216 after the break. But here's what he said, in case you couldn't hear it clearly. 
95% of your murders, murderers and murder victims, fit one MO. You can just take the description, Xerox it, and pass it out to all the cops. They're male, minorities, 16... No music, please. No music, please. I want to, I want to read this clearly, and I want people to hear it. You can just take the description, Xerox it, and pass it out to all the cops. They are male, minorities, 16 to 25. That's true in New York. That's true in virtually every city in America, and that's where the real crime is. You've got to get the guns out of the hands of the people that are getting killed. You want to spend the money on a lot of cops in the streets. Put the cops where the crime is, which means in minority neighborhoods. So one of the unintended consequences is people say, oh, my God, you are arresting kids for marijuana that are all minorities. Yes, that's true. Why? Because we put all the cops in minority neighborhoods. Yes, that's true. Why? Because that's where all the crime is. And the way you get the guns out of the kids' hands is is to throw them up against the wall and frisk them. And then they start to say, oh, I don't want to get caught, so they don't bring the gun. They still have a gun, but they leave it at home. End quote. That is why, right now, trending on Twitter, Mike Bloomberg is racist. Is it fair? Is it accurate? Is it right? You tell me. Steve Loomis and I will discuss it coming up at 935 as well. 216-901-0945, Right back after this. I like the song choice there. Bad boys, bad boys, what you going to do? What you going to do when they come for you? The question is, when it comes to this stop and frisk policy that Bloomberg adopted from Giuliani and carried through and defended while he was in office and after he got out of office, but now is apologizing for and saying, I was wrong. We shouldn't have done that. The question is, is how do you know they're bad boys? How do you know they're bad boys that you're coming for? Are you just going to stop and frisk everybody in the off chance that they might be a bad boy, bad boy? You understand my point? That's the nature of stop and frisk. Now, I want to I hit, like I said, there's such a complicated thing here. I'm going to ask Steve Loomis to try to make some sense of this for me uh, coming up in a few. Bloomberg, in 2015, made that statement that I just read for you before the break. Made that statement in a speech to the Aspen Institute saying, you know what? We put more cops uh, into the minority areas, the urban minority areas where males who are minorities, you can read black, you know, you can say there are others as well as Hispanic and whatnot, but it's primarily black. Male minorities, 16 to 25. And Bloomberg said that's true in New York and that's true in virtually every city in America. That's where the crime is, so that's where we put most of our cops. And then we ask them to stop them and frisk them if there is anything even remotely suspicious. And then that's where we find the guns. And if we don't do that, then those guns are used to kill because look at the statistics. They show where most of the shootings and most of the homicides occur. So what's key here is when Mike Bloomberg says 95% of your murders occur in this and and fit this mo which you can take a description of and xerox it and pass it out to all the cops he's saying not just the murderers but 95 percent of the murder victims obviously are in the same locations so 
it comes down to this. Do you advise and, and institute a policy of stop and frisk, which may make some people in the community uncomfortable because they haven't done anything wrong to be grabbed and frisked or told, hey, I think you're suspicious, I need to pat you down. Do you do that in the goal or with the goal of saving people's lives? Because the murder victims are just as high as, obviously, the murderers that are committed in these areas. And you're trying to save people. Is it worth making other people uncomfortable, even if they're not doing anything wrong? So Bloomberg, at the time he was mayor, said, yep, it is. Let's do this thing. And crime stayed low. It started to drop precipitously under Rudy Giuliani with the same policy. And it stayed low as Bloomberg instituted it as well. And as you just heard, publicly defended it. But now that he's running for president, and now that the minority vote is in play, now that Donald Trump has done, well, just the opposite. Donald Trump has instituted criminal justice reform, something a lot of people call jailbreak. And a lot of minorities have been let out of jail and are continuing and will be let out of jail with significant and steep reductions in sentences and other things as a part of criminal justice reform. And that has made Donald Trump a lot more popular in the African-American community than any Republican president has been maybe ever. Some are saying that Trump, who got 8% of the black vote in 2016, could pop that up to a double, to maybe 15 or 16% this time around, which would effectively destroy any Democrat's chances of being elected. So President Trump has helped the black community in terms of the relationship with the criminal justice system. But President Trump also said back in 2016 when he was running that he, like Bloomberg, supported stop and frisk and in fact supported expanding it from new york city to a nationwide policy why because it works when donald trump said that in 2016 that stop and frisk should be expanded nationally in the interest of stopping murders which is pretty pretty good i would think right that's a good idea many on the left said that is not only racist but it's unconstitutional Well, Rudy Giuliani, the mayor of New York who instituted that policy, wrote in a Wall Street Journal op-ed at that time in 2016. Again, this is before Trump won the presidency. This was in uh, September because he said it on a debate stage. Uh, Rudy Giuliani wrote that it is absolutely constitutional. During the debate, Trump advocated for the expansion of stop and frisk to a national policy. Lester Holt, the moderator, said that that had been ruled unconstitutional in New York. Trump responded by saying it hadn't and called a judge who ruled on it very anti-police. In the op-ed, Rudy Giuliani said the, uh, uh, Donald Trump at the time, not the president, Trump was right, saying it should be um, the tactic of stop and frisk should be credited for the drop in crime in New York City. Now, he did acknowledge that stop and frisk was ruled unconstitutional in 2013, but said that ruling only targeted the way it was practiced under the administration of his successor, Michael Bloomberg. During my administration, Giuliani said, the U.S. Justice Department spent two years examining stop and frisk and filed no case because it was determined to be constitutional. After continued use of the practice during the administration of Mike Bloomberg and Commissioner Ray Kelly, Judge Scheinlein found that the volume of stops 
and the focus on the African-American community made the practice not unconstitutional in general, but unconstitutional in the way they were applying it. This is the distinction that is so important yet was misunderstood by Mr. Holt and misrepresented by Mrs. Clinton at the time, said Rudy Giuliani. So here we are. So we've got Mike Bloomberg on tape saying that we need to go into the minority areas and throw them against the wall and stop them and frisk them in order to stop the number of murders that are taking place there. This is back in 2015. Fast forward to 2020, candidate Mike Bloomberg says, I was totally wrong. We shouldn't have used that, and I shouldn't have said that, and uh, uh, it was a terrible policy, and I apologize for it. Why? Because the black vote is in play, maybe for the first time really ever in a presidential election. We'll talk about it with Steve Loomis, former president of the CPPA, next, right here on AM 1420, The Answer. Onward now at 935. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. Let me let you hear uh, Mike Bloomberg again. 95% of your murders and murderers and murder victims fit one MO. You can just take the description, Xerox it, and pass it out to all the cops. They are male, minorities, 15, 21. That's true in New York. It's true in virtually every city. And that's where the real crime is. You've got to get the guns out of the hands of the people that get killed. So you've got to, if you want to spend the money for a lot of cops in the street, put those cops where the crime is, which means in minority neighborhoods. So all right, I'm going to stop it there so we can get to our guest. But I also want to make sure you hear that. I know it's it's kind of muddy audio because it's from you know a microphone that picked it up in a in an auditorium type setting, so it's a little bit echoey and muddy. Ninety five percent of your murderers said Mike Bloomberg in 2015. Murderers and murder victims fit one mo. You can just take the description, Xerox it, and pass it out to all the cops because they're all male minorities, 16 to 25. That's true in New York. That's true in virtually every city in America. And that's where the real crime is. You've got to get the guns out of the hands of the people getting killed. You want to spend the money on a lot of cops in the streets. Put the cops where the crime is, which means in minority neighborhoods. So one of the unintended consequences is people say, oh, my God, you're arresting kids for marijuana that are all minorities. Yes, that's true. Why? Because we put it all, <clears throat> we put all the cops in minority neighborhoods. Yes, that's true. Why? Because that's where all the crime is. And the way you get guns out of kids' hands is to throw them up against the wall and frisk them. Then they start to say, oh, I don't want to get caught, so they don't bring the gun. They still have a gun, but they, keep, but they leave it at home. That's the uh, quote, the full quote from 2015 from Mike Bloomberg, former mayor. Now that he is candidate Mike Bloomberg for president, he apologizes and says, I never should have used stop and frisk. It was wrong. It was unconstitutional. And I apologize for it. I don't know what to make of all this. Let's see if Steve Loomis does. Steve Loomis is the former president of the Cleveland Police Patrolmen's Association, now detective in the 4th District. Steve, good morning. Good morning, Bob. All right. So um, you and I talk about this a lot, maybe not specifically to Mike Bloomberg and maybe not specifically to Stop and Frisk, but we talk about the need to have more police officers in more minority areas and whether it's in new york city or whether it's in cleveland because that is where the majority of the violent crimes uh, especially gun crimes take place but the flip side of that is then the minority community says why are you harassing us why are so many police around here because you're just trying to lock up young black people um it, it's a really it's a really delicate balance here and mike bloomberg is trying to play both sides of the fence what's your take um, well, he absolutely is trying to play both sides of the fence, and, and we don't make those decisions on where to deploy 
you know, and I'm not speaking for the chief here, but um, we go to where the crime is. We don't go to a specific ethnic neighborhood um, and say, hey, go to it, you know. And by the way, Bob, the law-abiding citizens, wherever I go to do these speaking engagements with a community group, sometimes 25 people, sometimes 200, want to know where the cops are. So the law-abiding citizens want them in their neighborhoods proactively policing. Um, we have regressed in this nation um, to completely reactionary policing. Uh, we go after something bad happens. So very little is being done to prevent it. And um, uh, although stop and frisk is kind of a nasty name for it, we, we call it here in Cleveland park, walk, and talk. You get out of the car, you go make some contacts with some citizens, uh, good citizens, bad citizens, you know, whatever. Um, but you're out there and you're face-to-face, and it's really hard to hate uh, the police when you're looking them in the face, when they're talking to the men and women that are in law enforcement, that are out here doing the job for the right reasons. Um, very, very difficult. And, and the people that press these things are people that have agendas. Um, Al Sharpton, you know, for crying out loud, what has that guy ever done? Um, for anybody, let alone minority victims um, that, that are created by these uh, uh 15 to 25 year old thugs that are committing, you know, most of the homicides, um, certainly in the, Cle- in, in the city of Cleveland, but uh, elsewhere in the country, you know, 6% of the population commits 69% of the homicides nationwide, you know, and I'm not calling anybody names here, but we have to figure out what. No, the no, Steve, but you do, right? but you do need to identify that demographic. You just said six percent of the population commits sixty nine percent of the homicides. What is that six percent? Yes, African American males from age fifteen to twenty five. Okay, so which is pretty much what Mike Bloomberg said now. So let's go back yes. to his specific comment in 2015 where he basically said, look, we do go to the places where all the crime is committed or the vast majority of it is committed, and yes, it is in urban minority neighborhoods. So that mean, that's why today, uh, Steve Lomas, uh, Mike Bloomberg is racist is trending on Twitter. It's yeah. the number one trend on Twitter. And it's primarily from Democrats, liberal Democrats, who maybe support other Democrat candidates. I'm sure this was one of the, the other candidates in this primary sure. leaking that old video and making it trendy today. But it is trending, and, and he is being called a racist because he says that uh, stopping and frisking minorities, particularly the line about throwing them up against the wall and frisking them, uh, but that that is a racist statement. So how do cops handle what you just said is true, 6% of the population being responsible for the majority of the murders or the homicides, how do they do that without appearing to be racist? Yeah, well, I don't, I don't have a good answer for that, Bob. I mean... Um, I, appearance, <laughs> I don't think there is. Uh, appearance is not reality sometimes. We go where the crime is, period. When we get a radio call for assignment, I've never in 27 years heard a police officer call back the dispatch and say, hey, bot, or, uh, hey radio, what, what color is the family that's calling for help? We don't do that. Even better than that, Bennett, not in 27 years have you gone to a radio assignment or any assignment and had somebody come out on the front porch and signs me up and go, nah, send me a blacktop. You know, it does not happen. These are the issues that agenda-driven politicians, agenda-driven activists, self-proclaimed activists, they need to, to create these issues um, to justify their miserable existences. 
and, and, and divide um, our communities. I can tell you, when I go to these uh, community meetings, there's not one person there questioning why our guys and gals did what they did. Not one have I taken in years and years and years of doing this. Their question is, where the heck are you? We never see the police anymore. They want, law-abiding citizens want police officers in their neighborhoods. They want police officers in their parks because they want their children to be safe in those parks. Um, so if, 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 you know, flooding a certain area based on the crime rates and statistics with police officers happens to bring you in an African-American neighborhood, so be it. If it brings you into a white neighborhood or a Hispanic neighborhood, so be it. I mean, that's how we operate. That's the reality that we're facing. But now, uh, law enforcement across the country, especially New York, for crying out loud, no bail. You know, we have our, our, our you know, uh, uh, Brainiac City Council saying 200 grams of weed is okay. That's seven ounces of weed. That's not personal use. That's not okay. That's not, I live in Cleveland, and that's not okay. I'm telling you that. Okay, I, 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 don't, I don't want to chase that uh, down that rabbit hole. I want to stay on this, Steve. So let me let me but that's to say this. Anybody who, no, yeah. I, I I do understand that, but I, I want to stay on this from the Bloomberg perspective now because this is the the primary story today. Now we're talking to Steve Loomis, former president of the CPPA. Steve, anybody who just turned the radio on maybe three minutes ago and listened to your commentary might say. Loomis is defending Mike Bloomberg. Mike Bloomberg is being called a racist uh, for this uh, comments that he made about the stop and frisk policy, and Loomis is defending that. Um, what I want to know, Steve, is does Bloomberg should Bloomberg be apologizing for all of this the way he has been since he became a presidential candidate? Because um, what he said in that commentary, I don't think was born of racist intent. He said what you're saying. We go where the crime is, and that's where we have to put cops, and, and, and whatever it nets, it nets in terms of people being arrested. It's not targeting minorities. It's targeting criminal high-crime areas. So what he said, you kind of just said as well. But now he's backing off of that and, and apologizing for even instituting the policy and saying, I was wrong. I was wrong to have done it then. It's something that I'm very, very sorry for. I made a big error. I never should have done that, even though crime dropped precipitously in New York City while it was yeah. while it was going on, Steve. Well, that's that's that is the um, you know it's part of the prerequisite of being a weak kneed politician. You know, you're, he's pandering to a, a certain amount of votes somewhere. Or he thinks he is. What he's doing is he's losing the votes of the law-abiding citizens that want the police out there. Um, so he's just another weak-kneed politician um, trying to buy his way into the White House. I mean, that's disgusting, the things that they're doing to get him even involved in this at this point. But um, to, to sit there and say something that is very, very good for law-abiding citizens is all of a sudden something that he needs to apologize for is just, yeah. you know, he's going to be the guy going around the world apologizing for the United States you know, if he gets in there again. Um, it's a ridiculous notion, and, and he should be ashamed of himself for that. Steve, um, to the policy itself, um, obviously it's considered racist because, as we've pointed out, um, it, it was primarily employed in New York City in the urban uh, minority areas. And the the, the uh, uh, operational, um, the, the, way the, the way the program was operated, I guess is what I'm trying to say, is that police were allowed to stop and frisk 
anybody that they believed were acting suspiciously. Now, that gives them a lot of room for interpretation. It's very subjective. What is suspicious behavior? Um, if if three kids, three you know minority kids, are following an older woman down the street, would that would that qualify as suspicious behavior? I better stop and frisk them to make sure sure they're up to no good. Um, and and what if they're what if they're not? What if what if they're following the woman because two blocks past where the woman lives, there's a rec center and they are on their way down there to play basketball? Uh, do they deserve to get stopped and frisked because somebody thinks that looks a little suspicious to me? How does a cop make that differentiation, and how should the uh, people who are stopped feel about that? Well, it's it's based on your your personal experience, your job experience, um, as far as the police officers are concerned. Um, and we know <clears throat> what reasonable suspicion is. If uh, that, that little lady that you mentioned had just left an ATM machine and now all of a sudden she's got three guys walking up on her, you're, absolutely, you're damn right they're going to get looked at or, or at least watched, you know, maybe from afar. But then, you know, she, she may get victimized in that. And what what would they say if they were just kids going to the rec center? Um, I would hope that they would understand. And the police officers need to do a, a better job of explaining what it is and what they're doing and why they're doing it. And that was part of the problem. I think that we've we've turned the corner on that. Um, but they need to explain what's going on to those kids. And hopefully they would understand and appreciate um, the fact that the cops are out there watching and, and, and making sure that everybody is safe. That's the goal here, to get everybody safe. Not to the parents of those kids that want to, uh, you know, complain um, and throw their hands up in the air and, and you know, get Al Sharpton involved. I would tell you this. I would rather have my kid approached by a police officer and asked some questions and sent on his way than having a cop come to my door and telling me that my kid was just killed in the drive-by or in a robbery or something. Um, you know, so it's, this is the world that we live in right now. It, it sucks. It's not good for anybody, and we have to get on top of it. And, um, you know, all these, look how no bail is working out in New York City. You can't defend the rights of criminals and ignore the rights of the law-abiding citizens, and that's exactly what these weekly politicians are doing. Um, in every one of these major cities that, that we see these problems in. Steve, let me uh, ask you one other question before we're done. Yes, I've got a minute. Um, and it's, it's it, kind of diverging off into um, a different topic, and that was the shooting of the officers in New York on Sunday. You mentioned that what you guys try to do, you don't call it stop and frisk. What is it? It's something walk and talk, stop, stop, park, walk and Park, walk and talk in Cleveland. Park, walk and talk. Okay. I, I, Sounds nicer. I, it does sound nicer, but but I've got to say, I'd be terrified if I was an officer, particularly in New York, and I would, dare I say in Cleveland, too, stopping walking and talking in New York just to try to establish a relationship with the community so they don't feel like you're out to get them is going to get you shot because of the the culture that's been created here. They're hunting cops, and if cops are in 
you know, I mean, hell, they're shooting people who are just pulling them over for a, a simple uh, sure. traffic violation. Anytime they see the uniform, not anytime, but there is a, a part of the population which I do not believe to be racially demographically specific. There is just anti-cop population, something that was fostered by the last presidential administration that's getting cops hunted. You heard the union in New York say we, these, these were assassination, assassination attempts, and it's been brought on by the policies of people like de Blasio now. So can you get out and park, walk, and talk without fear of getting shot? Well, in, in Cleveland, we do it in two main cars. So there's, there's two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, the answer to that is, yeah, you, you can. What What's going on now with this kid in New York is he just walked up on a, a couple guys and asked them a simple question and pulled a gun out on them. I mean, I, I guess that that can happen any time. And, and, you know, when we sign up for this job, we sign up knowing that that could happen at any time. We want to prevent it. Um, we certainly don't want to see that happening. But, um, we still got to get out and go do the job. And, and park, walk, and talk is part of that. Community engagement is part of that. Um, proactive policing is part of that. You know, let us do our jobs. Let us... Proactive policing, though, is dead, though, in a lot of those cities, as you know, like Baltimore, for example, because anybody, yep. you know, you're going to end up either in a coffin or in a jail cell if you proactively police and a, and a bad outcome happens. That's why nobody's leaving their cars anymore. That's, yeah, that's, that's part of this that's, that's part of this equation. I know, and I know you've talked about that extensively, too. Steve, I'm out of yes, time, sir, exactly but I appreciate right. I I can't make any sense of this. I'm just being 100% honest. I want to go to professional uh, in law enforcement because it's a very, very delicate subject to talk about trying to find where the crime is and, and not uh, making anybody feel like they're being targeted because of their race. But that's where yeah, we are, what, and it's now an issue in this election. So, uh, whatever, whatever you, however you fall on it, it's a very, very useful tool for law-abiding citizens and law enforcement to be able to have that freedom to, to go and, and go with that reasonable suspicion and, and just talk, engage somebody in conversation, see how they act, and, right. and go from there. Yeah, and maybe then maybe just, they'll just, see, just, even just though you might have lie. to frisk them, you talk to them, maybe they'll see that guy's not a bad guy. He's just looking out for folks. I understand that, and that's maybe that's yes, the way sir. to go. Steve Loomis, uh, former president of the CPPA, thank you. Thank you, sir. 9.52, back after this. Onward now, it is 9.56. Thanks for being with us on AM 1420, The Answer. Short segment here before the top of the hour coming up. After the top of the hour, you're going to love it. We're going to talk to our man, uh, Kurt Schlichter, Colonel Kurt Schlichter, former uh, colonel in the U.S. Army, now a Los Angeles attorney and a senior columnist at townhall.com. And uh, joining us now is going to be Bill, who is in Chagrin Falls on AM 1420, The Answer. Hey, Bill, thanks for the call. Go ahead, sir. Hey, Bob, I just wanted to sort of follow up on what um, Mr. Loomis was talking about, because I've heard this stat several times, about 6% of the population, but uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but if 13% of the population is African-American, and we're saying obviously half of that is male, well then if the majority of the crime, 70%, I believe you stated, are being committed by males between 15 and 25, then I think it's more serious than it is. I mean, so it's like one-eighth of the males, which is around 1% of the population that's committing 70% of the crime. Am I seeing that correctly? I don't know if I I don't know if I followed all of your math there. I do know that that 
Um, African Americans make up roughly, and this is, of course, obviously the population changes yearly and really monthly, but um, roughly 13% of the population is African American. Of that 13%, um, uh, about half are males, uh, 6% or 6.5% of the population. Of that, and I, and I think that's probably where you're going with your math, and again, I haven't done the numbers, what they're saying is that males between the age of 15 and 24 from within that population are responsible for 69% of the homicides, not all crimes, but of homicides, and 90-plus percent of their victims are also African-American, because as you know, whites generally commit crimes in their own demographic or in their own neighborhoods and so on around the people that they're near. So, you know, 80 to 90 percent of white crime is vic- uh, white victims and 80 to 90 percent or more of black crimes are black victims as well. So it's, it, it, you know, the, the, the math is essentially saying that an overwhelming and extraordinarily overwhelming number of the homicides in this country are committed against black people by black males 15 to 24. Gotcha. Well, I come from a, a family that has quite a few police officers, so I'm all in favor of stopping the spread. Well, and you know, and that's and I'm, I'm glad you said that, and I appreciate that, uh, Bill. And thanks for the call. Um, th- this is this is the the real key here um, is is whether you're in favor of proactive policing or not. Take the racial component out of it, and I know you can't, and I know some people don't want to, especially when it comes to Bloomberg, because. He is essentially saying, go into minority neighborhoods and, quote, throw these minority kids up against the wall and frisk them. That's a little bit strong language. He used it, but I'm sure he didn't mean it literally. But um, if you take the racial component out of it, if you're able to, the question is, is do you believe in proactive policing? Or reactive policing. Reactive, of course, being we're just going to sit in our squad car somewhere minding our own business until a radio call comes in. Radio call comes in and we find out a crime has been committed or is being committed. Now we'll go respond. That's reactive. And guess what that creates? A whole lot of victims, right? Or proactive policing, which is we're going to not just sit in a squad car in the corner waiting for a radio call. We're going to drive through the neighborhoods. And we're going to look around and make sure everything is, is, is kosher. We're going to make sure everything is, 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 uh, everybody is, is okay, that there's not anything dangerous going on, that there aren't drugs being sold, that there aren't people being stuck up, there aren't people uh, being harmed in any way. And maybe while we're doing that, we've got to make sure if we see suspicious behavior, hey, we've got to make sure you're not, you're not armed here. We've got to patch it down. That's what stop and frisk is. It's proactive policing. Is it okay to be pro-proactive policing and not racial well, that's the uh, that's the question Mike Bloomberg is asking himself right now. All right, uh, quick time out here for news top of the hour, and Kurt Schlichter joins us next. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.